Hello and welcome to Capital Ideas. This is where we sit down with members of the Washington State House of Representatives to give listeners an inside look at important aspects of how their citizen legislature works and who and what it's working for. We're speaking today with State Representative Sherry Appleton. Sherry represents Washington's 23rd Legislative District, which comprises the bulk of Kitsap County, including Polsbo, where she lives, as well as Bainbridge Island, Silverdale, Kingston, and East Bremerton. She was elected to the Washington State House of Representatives in 2004 and is currently vice chair of the House State Government and Tribal Affairs Committee and is a member of the House Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness and Health and Human Services Appropriations Committees. Outside the legislature, Representative Appleton sits on the Washington State Sentencing Guidelines Commission and chairs the commission's Juvenile Sentencing Committee, and she was recently appointed to serve on the state's Public Defense Advisory Committee. She's a charter member of the Legislators Leadership Council on HIV-AIDS at the Center for Women's Policy Studies in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Sherry, and thanks for joining us today on Capital Ideas. Oh, thanks for doing this. This is sort of interesting and fun. I want to start by asking you a question I've asked several other legislators, and I've got a pretty uniform response, which is not real positive. The 2010 legislature is a couple of months in the rearview mirror now, and it was one that most people are saying it was the most challenging they've ever seen, and and that's the best assessment that I've heard. Is that the word you'd use? I think I wouldn't use challenging. I think I would use brutal, because it was a brutal session. We had to cut almost $4 billion in this biennium, which was 2009 through 2010. And the people who get cut the most are those that have no voice in the legislature. So there are those of us who have to fight to make sure that their rights are covered. It makes it very difficult. One of the committees that you sit on, the House Health Care and Human Services Appropriations mm-hmm. Committee, was charged with writing the budget for those particular areas. Those areas were some of the ones that were cut the most and that serve the most vulnerable people in the state. How difficult was it to maintain funding at some sort of a minimum level for some of the programs that you feel are very important? We were between a rock and a hard place because of the dilemma we were in. I also do Veterans Affairs through that. And I just looked at it and I said, we can't cut anymore. We have cut and cut and we have harmed people and so my big thing was finding out how I could keep it in the budget. Part of that was those targeted tax increases. Most of those will not affect the average family. Beer, candy, soda pop, and cigarettes. But in the same time we doubled the tax credit for small business. I think we did the right thing. And the other thing was I was going to take a stand on Francis Hatton Morgan and the other four institutions because there are families who have children in there. They're not children anymore. They're adults. But the fact is that there is a place in our communities for both institutions and community housing. Uh, The DD community tends to be split where the advocates for community housing don't think the institutions should exist. In reality, a lot of those children, so to speak, ended up 
in the community and could not sustain, and they had to be brought back to the institutions. And I feel this gives parents and loved ones peace of mind knowing that these uh, children are being well taken care of. And that's the only housing that they know now. And they're usually nonverbal. So it's very hard to explain to somebody that we're going to take you out of a place you've lived for the last 40 years and put you in someplace else and take away their feeling of security and safety. So that was very important to me. Who does that center serve? It serves profoundly disabled autistic children. So they're not like Asperger's uh, autism, which is very high functioning. These actually are people who don't function in a regular setting. They're nonverbal, a lot of them. They have behavioral problems because they are so profoundly disabled. So that's the bulk of the clients that are at Francis Haddon Morgan. And though they're the children of a family, they may be grown children. So we're they talking are. about, in many cases, people who have lived in this institution, been been served by this institution for decades. For decades. The youngest at Francis Haddon Morgan, I think, is 12. And the oldest is 40, 50. So they've been in there for decades. And it really does serve the community. And the other institutions, although they're not in my particular legislative district, I feel like the parents are the same wherever they are. So there are four other institutions around the state, and we managed to keep them open. Now, they're going to be studied and interviewed and all that by uh, OFM is going to do an outside consultant to see who can be moved. And so we're going to have to continue to fight for the next few years. And this is the kind of thing that, that a lot of people don't realize, but it goes on in almost all functions of government. Studies conducted and audits conducted to make sure that money that's being spent is being spent, first of all, on something that, that is worth spending right. and also that it's being spent in an efficient way. Right. So this institution, the other ones around the state, are really, they're not being singled out. It's just part of the ongoing process. Right. And when you're talking about government efficiencies, the other thing that I was wedded to was to refund adult day health. And that's different from adult day care. This is adult day health. These are people who are, again, profoundly disabled, or they have Alzheimer's, or they are physically challenged, just different things. And if they didn't have adult day health centers, these people would have to be put into nursing homes. And this way, families can keep their loved ones with them. They can go to work every day, which is really good for the economy. And it saves the state the money from putting more people into nursing homes, which costs a tremendous amount of money. The adult day health centers look after the medical challenges these clients have, and they're also able to help them socialize. Last year, we had denied a certain segment of the population, the ones who lived in adult family homes, the ability to go to adult day health. 965 people were left out in the cold That's by last year's budget cuts, and the federal courts stepped in with an injunction and said, mm -mm, you can't do this. You did not give people due process nor enough time 
to make other arrangements. So 965 people went back to adult day health centers that still were open, some were closed. And they saw immediately what happened. I mean, it was evidence right there that some of these people who could talk when they were in adult day health could no longer talk. And that some of the people who could walk could no longer walk. And it was really a very serious situation. So I really worked hard. This was really important to me to refund adult day health. Now, we'll always have this fight, at, you know, because these people are voiceless. And when people are voiceless, they tend to get cut first. But we were able to put $1.35 million into this program, which will fund 1,595 clients. This is really important because if you put 1,595 people in nursing homes, it would cost the state a tremendous amount of money. So this is a mistake that happened, and hopefully we will keep these centers open. I think they're very important. So this is one of the things that will be funded by this package of tax increases. People, I think, sometimes might think, well, that tax increase is going into some bureaucrat's pocket, when in fact, it's just one more human service. Right. That's going to fund that and Francis Haddon Morgan and the four institutions. The other thing was uh, family planning, which was very important. And I got a commitment last year when we only put $3 million into family planning to put another $3 million in this year if the federal government didn't step up. They didn't step up and we did get the three million. Now, I've been asked a lot about this family planning because people automatically think abortion. But that's not what this was about. This was about nurses who were helping low-income families work out their family reproductive lives so that there wouldn't be unwanted pregnancies, so that we wouldn't have to go through that, but help people to be able to regulate the amount of children that they have and can afford. So this was really important. We lost about 16 nurses last year. So this was just replacing them back in. And it's a terrific program when you think about it because it also helps with all kinds of reproductive services, especially if a woman is sick or there are STDs involved, whatever. They're taken care of, and that's really important because an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Along those same lines, one of the things that was cut last year and that you managed to restore some funding for was digital mammography services for women who might be at high risk or who could not pay for this. Yeah, they were low income. That digital mammography money, $587,000, was put in there so that low income women could have prevention. You know, they could have their mammography every year if they're over the age of 50. This is really important because if a woman gets breast cancer, the cost to the state when she can't afford health insurance or anything else is phenomenal. This is the person who ends up in the emergency room, uncompensated care. The state has to step in and pay for it. But with an ounce of prevention, you know, you can get something very early. You can detect it early, take care of it. And I think the bottom line in this is, what, which is very important to me, there shouldn't be two levels of health care. 
that if you're a middle-income woman or a wealthy woman, that you get digital mammography, but the low-income women don't get it. That doesn't seem like justice to me. And while we're talking about that as a segue, you know, I have worked all my adult career on constitutional issues and on social justice. And just this past weekend, I was awarded from the Washington Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers a Champion of Justice Award, which is for people who champion constitutional rights and justice for the accused, because we all know that that is what the Constitution does. It provides sufficient and adequate defense to people who are accused. And, you know, it's so easy to forget about that, especially if you've never been accused of a crime if or falsely accused of a crime. Criminal defense lawyers really are the backbone to me of the Constitution because they make sure that we uphold those rights. And I've worked on that forever. In 1992, I was appointed to the U.S. Advisory Committee for Washington State for the U.S. Civil Rights Commission. That was by President Bush, and then it was redone by President Clinton. And then I was on the Judicial Conduct Commission for 12 years, and that was uh, Governor Lowry and Governor Locke who appointed me. And now, because I'm a legislator, I left those two, and I'm on the Sentencing Guidelines Commission, and I'm chair of the Juvenile Committee of the Sentencing Guidelines Commission, and I just was appointed to the Office of Public Defense Advisory Committee for the state. So a lot of my background has been in criminal justice and ensuring the rights of people. Uh, Ben Franklin said it very well. Those who give up a certain amount of liberty for a little bit of security deserve neither liberty or security. That's very important. Switching now to a totally different subject, one of the bills that you sponsored successfully and saw signed into law this year is one that almost no one will hear about. It's, It's really under the radar. It's the kind of thing that improves government, but that doesn't make the headlines, and that is a bill that will allow colleges and universities, particularly smaller colleges, to pool their buying power achieve economy of scale when doing purchases and save money for the taxpayers in the the meantime? Well, it was an important bill, especially for the colleges and universities. In the end, it will save a lot of money because they can buy in bulk and share the expense. It wasn't a complicated bill. It was a very simple bill. made a lot of sense to me, and that's why I sponsored it. It really helped colleges and universities keep their expenses down so they don't have to pass that on to students. And you have one of the top community college systems right here in your county. Olympic College is fantastic. We really are very successful, and that was important to help them save money as well. You've been home a couple of months now after the session finally let out. You've been speaking with chambers of commerce, Mm -hmm. with fraternal organizations, with people on the street, with business owners, everyone, I suppose, that you come in contact with. What are you hearing, and what are you hearing that they would like you to be doing during this interim? Well, what we're hearing, of course, till you sit and really talk to people, is their unhappiness with taxes. 
But when you explain to them where the taxes, where the money is actually going, and that it's not a general tax increase, I think it defrays a lot of that anger. And we're able to talk about that. The other thing is people want jobs. Now here in Kitsap, we are rather lucky. We have the lowest unemployment rate in the state, 7.5. And that's because we are supported by the base and you know we have a lot of military jobs. But we need to create jobs. And in this past biennium, we brought back to Kitsap, the three of us, Christine, Phil, and myself, $7.7 million in capital projects. That creates 117 jobs, which is really important when you're in a bad economy. We want to make sure that people have the ability to support the small businesses that are in the small towns uh, so that these businesses won't go out of business. Part of that money is unemployment insurance, which really does help small business because people will go to the grocery store. They will go to the shoe store. They will go and buy clothes for their kids to go back to school. So it's very important. It's like a seamless circle that Everybody is part of the whole, and we need jobs to support the small business, which supports the community, which then supports everything else outside the community, the county, and then the state, and that. So it's, it's jobs are really important, and it, it's difficult in hard times to create jobs, but we wanted to bring the tax dollars that people spent back to Kitsap because most people don't realize that their tax dollar comes back to work on these capital projects. If it didn't come back, it would go to somebody else's community. And personally, I want it to come back to Kitsap. We're about out of time here today. This has been a good conversation, but before we close, is there anything I haven't brought up or anything you haven't mentioned that you would like to make sure people get to hear about? Well, I would like people to know that regardless of the anger that's out there, we work very hard to represent each and every person. I do a lot in my LA, or legislative aide, Donna Bazan. We work very hard to solve problems for people when they have to deal with state agencies. We try to make sure that everybody is represented. And I want people to know that that that's my job, is to represent them. Now, we're not always going to agree on issues. And I don't think that there's any human being in the whole world that agrees with everybody on everything. But basically, we, and I say we, Christine, Phil, and myself, we try to help this community become better, become stronger, have more jobs, and make sure that the health and the safety and the welfare of the community are watched over. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. That is today's program. Subscribe to this podcast now and spend a few minutes a week with Capital Ideas. After all, this is your state government, and the more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats. Your power is turning our darkness to dawn.